So I want to start off by just posing a very simple question. What does your Bible look like? Have you got a kind of a well-weathered, well-read Bible, slightly tatty-looking? Perhaps a very nice, shiny-looking Bible, maybe leather-bound? Or have you gone paperless? Have you kind of embraced technology? Yeah, there's a few nods there. When I was growing up, actually my dad's in the, in the audience, my dad was a keen reader of the Word, and he very often used this big, hefty thing. I mean, there is no mistaking what he was doing. It even says the Holy Bible. And I was reflecting this week on how I model reading the Bible. I've got three young kids, and I was thinking, what do they see when I'm doing it? Well, my preferred method of choice is my iPhone. I mean, it is so simple. It has like three or four translations. It's got three or four different commentaries. But I was thinking, actually, I think when my kids see me reading this one, they think I'm playing Crossy Road or some kind of game or enjoying CBeebies. They don't think I'm studying the Word. And then by the age of 19, I kind of realized, actually, you know, there must be some truth in here. Why else would my dad read it? And so by the age of 19, I was hungry to kind of discover it for myself. And I was thinking, that's what I want my kids to be like. So it's just a real point of reflection this week for me. Now tonight we're looking at, you know, letting scripture shape us. And to do that, I want us to ask kind of three questions. Well, that's how I'm going to frame it. The first one is, how do we best navigate scripture? So how do we best navigate scripture? And then secondly, how can we let scripture shape us? And then having thought about those two things, kind of so what? What does it mean for us? And hopefully as I kind of lead us through this, we're going to get three kind of ideas that emerge. The first one is around relationship. The second one is around love. And the third one is around faithfulness. So why don't we just start in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for tonight. We thank you that we gather in your presence and you're already at work. And Lord, as I speak, may you just help us to tune in to your still, small voice. You know, may, may your word come out loud and clear. And may you take away anything that is not of you. In Jesus' name. Amen. So question one. How can we best navigate scripture? Has anyone followed the story of the rescue in Thailand? Where 12 boys, yeah, and the, um, the coach were rescued? A quite remarkable story. And in very simple terms, it was made possible by a number of things. Firstly, they had a good map. Yeah, it sounds obvious, doesn't it? But they understood how the various chambers and cabins and tunnels all interlinked. They knew where they were. And then when the divers went out to find the boys, they took with them a rope, a, very, you know, a guide rope that stretched right from the entrance, and they marked it at the point where they found the boys. Very simply, they were able then to, to follow this rope, so they were never going to get lost. They just laid out a guide rope. As you can see from that red Bible, the Bible is huge. And it's complex. And it's hard. And I think when we read it, often we can find ourselves in unfamiliar territory. You know, we can get lost. And we can lose sight of what it's actually about. You know, reading the Bible is that much easier when you understand the wider story. You get the map. You understand the themes that run right throughout. You have a sense of where that guide rope is taking you. So our passage tonight, this passage in Deuteronomy 6, you know, if you read it, it can feel a little bit unfamiliar. For starters, it's in the Old Testament. 
We find it in the first five books of the Bible. And as we've heard through this series, you know, Jesus and his disciples, you know, this was their sweet spot. You know, they grew up studying this stuff. They knew it almost word for word. You know, and right in the heart of, um, of the law, of the Torah, the first five books, Moses is giving these instructions. And in verse 4 to 5, he gives this command. He says, Love the Lord our God. The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now, this was not a forced love. You know, as you can maybe kind of get the impression when you read it, it just feels quite forced, but it wasn't the, that wasn't the case. You know, Moses is trying to remind the next generation of what God has done for their parents. You know, it says in verses 21 to 22, you know, Moses says, We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders, great and terrible on Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. Out of love, God rescued his people. And he sent remarkable signs and wonders because he wanted to leave his chosen people in no doubt as to who he was. You know, it culminated in the parting of the Red Sea. He wanted this story to be passed on from generation to generation. You know, he longed to be in relationship with his chosen people forevermore. You know, he wanted a relationship founded on love and faithfulness. And then reading on a bit, in verses 14 to 15, or skipping back in fact, Moses said, do not follow other gods, the gods of the people around you. For the Lord your God is among you. Those of you who attended the School of Theology course, I can see a few of you here tonight, you've heard the kind of recurring kind of story all through, kind of, all through time, all through the scripture, God has been just trying to dwell in our presence. You know, right at the very heart, right at the very beginning, in the story of um, Eden, we hear of God walking to find Adam and Eve. And then they break the terms of the relationship and so they have to leave Eden. But then God doesn't stop there. He tries again. You know, he tries to restore that relationship with his people. And we get various instances, such as the burning bush, where he comes and shows himself. And then later on, the tabernacle, this big tent where God dwells, is built. And it's put right at the heart of the community of Israel. And then later, it's the temple. You know, God is longing to dwell with his people. But unfortunately, it goes wrong because his people just fail to recognize him in their midst. You know, they erect their own idols to worship. They find their own gods. You know, they miss out on the promise, and they find themselves exiled. And then many years later, God decides to come again, you know, intent on restoring this relationship. At this time, he comes in the person of Jesus. And in Matthew, we get this great proclamation. In Matthew 2, verse 15, it says, Out of Egypt I called my son. Out of Egypt I called my son. It's no coincidence that the story of Exodus is where God led the Israelites out of Egypt. And as we've heard, it all went wrong. This time, God wants to make clear he's going to do it again. But this time, it's a new rescue mission. This time, it's going to go differently. 
you know, where Israel failed in their relationship with God, Jesus will not fail. He comes to model how to do relationship, how to live a life of love, how to be faithful. He knows who he is, and he knows who God is. He knows the one true God. When he's being tempted um, in the wilderness by Satan, in Matthew 4, verse 10, he says this. He says, go away, get behind me. Worship the Lord our God and serve him only. And then later on, he repeats that great command to his followers. He says again, you know, the greatest command is to love God, the one true God. And again, this is not a forced love. You know, as, we, as we read the Bible, we discover that actually we are caught up in a love story. You know, God loves us so much that he sent his one and only son that we could be in no doubt as to how much he loves us. You know, Jesus has come to be the fulfillment of the old. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in a letter to the church in Rome. In Romans 8, verses 1 to 4, he says, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son, in the likeness of sinful flesh, to be a sin offering. And so he condemns sin in the flesh, in order that by the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Where God's people had failed to faithfully love God, Jesus came to redefine the relationship. His life was to be one of sacrifice out of love, so that through him we might be able to keep the righteous requirement of the law. Now we are always going to get it wrong. We're always going to mess it up. But in Jesus it does not matter, because through him we can turn away from where we get things wrong. We can go again. We can seek forgiveness and receive it. It's why the book of Hebrews says this. It says in chapter 4, verse 16, we can approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We can approach God's throne of grace in confidence so that we may find grace and mercy afresh. As we start to understand the Bible more, the story, the wider story, we realise that Jesus was right there at the beginning, right there in the story of creation. You know, and as we read, the story points towards a Messiah who is one day going to come, and he's going to rescue us. And then we find out that that Messiah is Jesus. And Jesus basically takes hold of that rope and calls us towards him. He says, come follow me. Let me be the lamp unto your path. You know, he talks of a kingdom that has not yet come, but one day will come in fullness. Jesus says, let me lead you back to the arms of the Father. You know, a loving Father, you know, he wants to embrace us, our one true God. 
That is the story we have that runs throughout. When we understand that, it helps us to grapple with all the hard stuff that we find in the Bible. When we get stuck, we just have to look back to Jesus. So question two. How do we let Scripture shape us? Well, God is calling us into a relationship based on love and faithfulness. So we need to take seriously the wisdom that we find in Scripture. In Proverbs, there's this beautiful verse. In chapter 3, verse 3, it says, Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind it around your neck. Write it on the tablet of your heart. In any healthy relationship, love and faithfulness are key. And God deserves nothing less. You know, one way of kind of growing in our relationship with God, very obviously, is just to spend time in his word. You know, it's one way of being present. It's one way of understanding him more. It's one way that we have to listen to his voice. It's one way that we have to allow him to shape us to be more like him. You know, it says in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 11, that God's word goes out from his mouth to achieve its purpose. It will not return empty. You know, when we read God's word, we never quite know how it's going to bear fruit. But there's a promise that it is going to bear fruit, that it is going to do something. You know, I think it's fair to say that as we study scripture, it enables us to tune more into God's voice. It's a bit like playing hangman, but having all the letters. You know, it gets easier to hear what he's saying. You know, I find that sometimes when I'm praying and I'm talking to God, what comes back to me is kind of almost like verses and stories and passages. It's just another way that God can reveal his heart to us. Now, just before we think that's it, that it's just about picking up the Bible and reading it, I want to challenge us that actually there's something more than that. Question for you. Have these words ever been aimed in your direction? You are hearing, but you are just not listening. You are just not getting it. Now, I've completed the listening course at St. Saviour's, so it doesn't apply to me. I wish. <laughs> it's a regular thing, isn't it? My wife is always saying, you're just not listening. You know, reading and hearing is just an act. It's just something we can do. We can go through the motions and do it and not really know what we've read or heard. Listening is something intentional. You know, we have to consciously think that we're going to listen well. I don't know if you've ever taught someone to, um, to learn a new sport, to play a new instrument. I think it's about just helping that person to know how to prepare, to be in the right position for the best chance of success. You know, I'm currently teaching my three young children simply just how to catch, you know, just lobbing it up, keeping their eyes on the ball and being ready to bring your hands out. And then it's about not getting scared. It's about being all in. They have to actually commit to the process. You know, what I've discovered when it comes to listening well to Scripture is it's very similar. We have to be all in. And what I do is I just do very few simple things. I start in prayer, like we have tonight. I then just kind of maybe have a time of silence. And I then just pray. I just say, Holy Spirit, would you come and fill me afresh? Would you open my eyes to see, my ears to listen, and my heart to feel the scripture as it was intended, as Jesus would want it to be, to be heard and read? Paul says this in Romans 8 
uh, verse 5, addressing the church again. He says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. I don't know about you, but you know, my mind is often just on what's going on in the world. You know, the business of my life. You know, my big shopping list of ideas and tasks and things that I want and strive for. Paul reminds us that actually we have to lay that down. That we have to focus our minds on God. We have to have the mindfulness of the Spirit. To listen well to Scripture, we have to be in relationship with the Spirit. I've got a silly example, but for me, I often read, or I've often read about the broken, the lost, the poor. And I've sadly come away not feeling much. You know, I'm ashamed to say I've not always felt stirred. But I know that I should because, because God is a God of love. So surely that love should rub off on me and I should perceive it, receive it, hear it, feel it in a different way. Now, I don't know what your personality type is. I'm naturally a thinker as opposed to a feeler. That means I'm quite objective. I can stand back, I can stand at a distance and disconnect. It's quite handy for business when you're making tough and uncomfortable decisions. But it's not so good if you want to be a good Samaritan, you want to be, be reaching out to the broken. When I invite the Spirit in, I feel a change in me. Something happens, I become more of a feeler. I know it's not me because it's not how I'm wired. But I connect the story differently. I inhabit the world differently. Now this change has not just been a result of reading Scripture, it's been a combination of things. I think as we read Scripture, actually God provides you know, activities alongside or opportunities alongside that complement one another. You know, opportunities to to maybe step out on mission, to, do, to serve in different ways in the church. And in tandem, what God is doing is he is shaping us, he is changing us, he's doing something afresh within us. Last week, David and Stara, they read the story of the road to Emmaus. And I don't know if you recall, but Jesus basically walks with his followers. He stands behind them, and initially they do not recognise him. And then he talks to them, and initially, they do not understand what he's saying. And then suddenly, they get a fresh interpretation. And they do understand. It all becomes clear. That is what Jesus does. Jesus helps to interpret the scripture for us. So does his Holy Spirit. It's not that we don't have the information. It's just that we need to allow the Spirit to give us a fresh interpretation. So basically, by being in relationship with the Spirit, by being open to having a mindfulness on him, these are the key things, I would say, to helping us read Scripture well. And I challenge us to think that actually when we read Scripture, it's not all about us. You know, a large part of it is actually getting ready to signpost other people to Jesus. We need to be equipped to do that. So question three. We know this story we thought about how it can kind of change us and shape us. So what does that mean for us? Well, the Bible came into existence as part of an oral tradition. That means it was designed to be, to be read, to be heard. You know, it, was, it lived way before kind of reading and writing were common. You know, the Bible was designed to be shared in community, in relationship. 
It was not something that was supposed to sit on a dusty shelf or be a secret affair. No, Scripture is designed to be heard and shared in community. It's why we find Moses saying this in verses 7 to 9, in reference to the, to the story of the Exodus and the law. He says, Impress upon your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And then moving on a little bit. When your son asks, tell him. You know, we have to retell the story. We have to be willing to share this good news. And we have a fuller picture. We have a fuller story than they did back then. We don't just have the law. We have Jesus as the fulfillment of the law. We know that our God, our one true God, longs to be in a relationship with us, a relationship where he can love us, where he can show us that he is faithful. This is what we have. This is what we need to be retelling. Yeah, and we need to grow in confidence in sharing God's word. We need to be confident in the message we have, confident in the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And when we do share God's word, we can be confident that it is powerful, that we are the messengers, but God will do the rest. It says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, that God's word is alive and active. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul, spirit, joints, and marrow. God's word is alive and active, and we need to be confident that it is so. My children often put me to shame as they freely share their faith. Yeah, why wouldn't they? They've got good news to share. But so often we are, if you like, I don't know, prevented or prohibited by fear. We have to become confident again that we have good news to share. The story of Philip and the eunuch in Acts 8 is a great example. You know, Philip feels convicted by the Spirit to approach this person, and so he does. And as he draws close, he realizes this guy is reading Scripture but just not understanding it. And so Philip gets alongside him, and he basically helps to give him a fresh interpretation. And as he does so, he leads him towards Jesus. It's very similar to the story on the road to Emmaus. Discipleship is often just about faithfully responding to the prompting of the Spirit, and then just getting alongside someone, and just gently, gently giving them a fresh interpretation and bringing them back into relationship with Jesus, signposting the way. This is my warning. When you commit to reading scripture well, when you commit to inviting the spirit in, something is gonna change. Not only will it help us be ready for salvation, or wise for salvation, and not only will it equip us for every good work, it may well prompt us to, to do something that we might otherwise not. A number of times in my life, I've had the attitude of here I am, but please don't send me Lord. I've seen that turn around to here I am, send me. When I was, um, when I was dating or courting, actually we were engaged at the time, Lucy, you know, I knew her, on her heart was to be a missionary. I didn't see it for me. I thought the corporate ladder was for me. And so I said to her, you know, if you marry me, you've got to lay that down. Six years later, we were serving as missionaries in Peru. You know, we never know the impact that God is going to have in our lives as he shapes them his way. Now, practicing the way of Jesus, as described in the Bible, is so countercultural, it's so radical, we cannot expect to be the same. 
if we bind love and faithfulness around our necks, if we write it on the tablets of our hearts, then we are going to be people who want to love God, who want to love people, who want to make the difference. It's going to be our DNA. So I finish with one last story. Again, it's a story about Lucy when we were dating. One wet, cold night, I, I picked her up from the station and she was less her coat. And so I asked her, you know, where's your coat? She told me that she had given it to a homeless person. And my initial reaction was one of frustration. I'm ashamed to say, I, I was an expensive coat, why have you given it away? Could you not have, I don't know, done something else? And she just replied to me, you know, quoting the words from Matthew 5, 42. You know, we are called to give to anyone who asks of us. You know, she had felt convicted by the Spirit and she had faithfully responded. And in that moment, I felt humbled and convicted. And ever since then, my application of Scripture has been different. And I think that's the beauty of church, that as a body, together, we can wrestle with Scripture. We can help to, to show one another how we can best interpret it, how we can live it out. And hopefully, we'll find that exciting.